afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Sue Kedgley and Connor English with me today. Now, just a tra- traffic reminder here. Again, roadwork closures on Auckland's motorways, including a full closure in both directions between Silverdale and Puhoi. Also, uh, State Highway 2 Wairua Bridge uh, annual maintenance means an overnight closure of Wairua Bridge between Te Puna and Bethlehem. That's scheduled for tonight from 8pm until 5am then. First up on the panel, the Reserve Bank has raised the official cash rate by 25 points to uh, basis points to 5.25% as it battles to get inflation under control. The decision has been seen as finely balanced between a rise of either 25 or 50 basis points because of increased government spending on the budget and the impact of strong immigration. With us is Professor Robert McCulloch from the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Auckland. Professor McCulloch, welcome. Yeah, hello. Hi. Just so we don't assume any knowledge, and we do not try to do that on the panel, what is the official cash rate anyway? Uh, it has it, it was 5.25, and it's been uh, raised quarter, uh, 25 basis points to 5.5%, I believe. Yeah, but what's the definition of it? Oh, what's the definition of it? Uh, it is the rate at which the central bank uh, lends uh, money uh, to the retail banks. So if uh, a retail bank wants to borrow from the central bank or the retail bank also may want to deposit money in, in, uh, with the Reserve Bank, they have things called settlement accounts. And the OCR is the interest rate that is paid on those settlement accounts. So it's an interest rate which the retail banks can get at the Reserve Bank. They have an account which is like a cheque account. Yeah. And uh, it's the rate that the central bank pays on those those, uh, those accounts. Oh, cheers, Robert. Yeah. So raising the official cash rate, as you mentioned there, by 25 basis points, yeah. what were the factors that shifted it to plus 25? Well, the factors were, uh, the main factor was concern about inflation uh, in a line. And uh, the central bank has uh, a mandate to keep inflation at 1% to 3%. And its argument is that it is trying to set uh, the official cash rate to achieve that uh, mandate and to bring inflation uh, from where it currently lies, which is you know around 6% back down uh, to 1% to 3%. And so to those listening this afternoon, you know, what do you think it'll mean for those, uh, if you like, uh, everyday people, Robert? Well, the increase in rates, uh, there's a concern that that'll feed into higher mortgage rates. The two worries to people about rising interest rates are that the cost of their mortgage will go up and also rising rates are often associated with higher unemployment and unemployment's one of the greatest sources of, of misery for people. So paying more on your mortgage and not just losing your job but fear of losing your job uh, can uh, be very upsetting to people. So those are the two sort of worries that people have. And on the flip side, before we go to our panellists, um, anyone who has a bit of a nest egg will be slightly happier. They might even start looking around for, uh, uh, for better rates between banks. Well, that's assuming that the banks uh, reward savers by passing on 
uh, that increase. And uh, there's a great deal of controversy around that point uh, because people uh, have been suspicious that the banks have been very quick to raise mortgage rates. Um, but I think I'm getting 0% on my cheque account at Westpac. So uh, isn't that nice? Of course, they have an online saver account, but that is only paying a couple of percent. Meanwhile, the central, meanwhile, Westpac and ANZ and the big banks, uh, as we just discussed, they have cheque accounts at the Reserve Bank, and those um, accounts are receiving the official cash rate, uh, which is around 5.5%. So they're giving me uh, between 0 and 2%, uh, but they're getting a 5.5%. And the trading banks have around $50 billion of deposits at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. So it would be nice for them to pass some of the rates uh, onto depositors, as you say. Yeah. Okay, Sue? Yes, well, um, I, I completely agree with you, Professor McCulloch, about uh, banks. But um, I think the government will be quite, you know, breathing a sigh of relief that it's only only gone up by 25%. But even so, as you said, we're going to see higher mortgage rates and then you've got petrol prices going to rise in July once the fuel tax subsidies ended. You've got rates going up all over New Zealand. You've got food prices rising uh, you know, at 12% a year. And so I think all of this is making people feel squeezed and a bit disgruntled. And that's, uh, I don't think that's good news uh, going into an election for the government. So I think, you know, that's going to remain high on the agenda. But I wonder, Professor McCulloch, isn't whether it's time to actually start questioning whether just constantly increasing the official cash rate isn't really too blunt an instrument to counter inflation? Because in a, a podcast today, an Australian uh, professor, she suggested using interest rate hikes to tackle inflation is a bit like flooding a house to tackle a fire in the kitchen. She said it's too narrow an approach and we need to look at other things like she's talking about um, high corporate profit margins driving inflation. They, 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 there's a new buzzword called greedflation. So where corporations, some of them, under the excuse of inflation, are putting up prices higher than they need to, and she thinks this is uh, is a driver of inflation. And you can't help wondering whether in New Zealand uh, this wouldn't be happening with supermarkets, you know, where the Commerce Commission's estimated they're making excess profits of a million a day. So do you think it's time to sort of, you know, isn't this OCR obsession... As, as the only way of countering inflation, something we need to rethink? Well, it's somewhat of a fringe view that she's giving. Uh, yeah, most central banks that. around the world do use something like the OCR, whether it's the United States, the European Central Bank, right around the world. Um, that's the mechanism which is used. So, uh, you know, it is, it is a fringe view. Um, you have to be careful. It, it, I, I'd venture to say that you, uh, your guest was confusing issues of inflation with cost of living because they are, they are different things. And if uh, prices are going up, say, by 6%, but wages are going up by 6%, then you can afford the price increases. Uh, the problem is if prices are going up more than your, your wage. So the cost of living, uh, the crisis, if you like, that we're having in this country is associated, like you said, with maybe very expensive prices in the supermarket with building. Right. And the, 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 at least within the econ profession, we attribute those problems to issues of competition largely in those sectors. You know, monop- uh, uh, if 
companies have monopoly power, they'll hike prices. But that, that gives you an, a, a high cost of living. Things are expensive. Uh, but that's not the same as inflation, which is how much wages and prices are, are going up together. So, you know, those cost of living and the fact that things are very expensive are being driven by possibly, uh, you know, maybe expensive world prices of food, but also, as you said, competition issues right. in those industries. Well, stay there. Let's bring Connor in. Uh, yeah, well, look, I, <clears throat> I just hope the Reserve Bank's right. Uh, yes. Because that what they're doing is they're saying that um, inflation by the end of this year is going to be under 5% and mm. by September next year is going to be under 3%. And that just sort of feels a wee bit like wistful thinking. Um, but yes. I do hope they're right. And, you know, if the peak of interest rates is at 5.5 in the OCR instead of 6, as a lot of people have been predicting, mm. um, well, that's a that's a good thing. If it's if we've, you know, done the tough yards and we're on the way down, um, well, that is brilliant. What a, you know, that's sort of pretty, pretty magical. The thing that sort of does concern me a little bit, you know, we have got a very large... Uh, balance of payments deficit, you know, 9% of GDP, the biggest one we've ever had. Um, I'm just interested in what impact that's going to have on the exchange rate and what assumptions the the, the bank has made on that, because if Professor. the exchange rate drops, it'll mean that our traders' inflation will go up in New Zealand dollar terms. Quick comment and on that, Professor? Well, I don't have confidence in the Reserve Bank, uh, if you're asking, um, <laughs> you know, do, do you? Well, not at all, not at all, uh, because you're... So uh, you're, tell us what you really think. You're, yeah. you're asking, um, should we have confidence in these projections of the Reserve Bank? Well, the governor of our central bank, Adrian Orr, said to the world uh, in twenty twenty mid-2021, not long ago, they said, will printing $50 billion of cash lead to high inflation? Uh, he said his answer was, a world uh, stagflation, which is high inflation and rising unemployment, is a world away. That won't happen. It's a world away. That was his phrase. There's no way in a million years it's a world away that we will have high inflation and rising unemployment and a slowdown in growth. That's exactly the situation we're in. So he said that not long ago. He got the, his projections all wrong. So the idea now they have some magic wand and he can predict the world in 18 months when he got it completely wrong 18 months ago, uh, I think uh, takes away all confidence that, and faith in the organisation. Telling, telling it like it is, Professor Robin McCullough-Cura, <laughs> thank you for your time there. Sure. Uh, he is the Faculty of Business, uh, he's at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Auckland. Uh, Robin McCullough, they're having no faith in uh, the future projections of the um, the Reserve Bank there. 19 past for the panel, Sue Kedley and Connor English, and of course other big news didn't this cause an outcry. Miami Zoo posted to social media visitors surrounding Paura the Kiwi as he sat on a table under bright lights despite being a nocturnal creature. The zoo's website had advertised the Kiwi encounters for 25 bucks a pop as an experience guests that would, would cherish forever. Overnight, the zoo announced it had taken the concerns expressed seriously and the encounter could no longer be offered effective immediately. And here at home, according to the doc site, there are about 70,000 Kiwi left. We're losing 2% of our unmanaged Kiwi every year, around 20 a week. With us is Natalie Jessup, General Manager of the Endangered Species Foundation. Natalie, kia ora. Oh, kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, uh, kia koutou. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's fair to say around the country, a lot of us winced 
didn't we, when we saw that Kiwi under those bright fluorescent lights being poked and prodded by, um, you know, paying customers. What mm. went through What went through your mind when you saw this? Oh, first it was a bit of a shock to see this Kiwi um, overseas. And, you know, we know that they're out there, but, uh, yeah, it was to see it in that foreign environment under the lights, people taking selfies and it had even been put in a little pumpkin for um, Halloween so yeah it was just quite disturbing (laughs) and shocking So needless to say uh, the poor Kiwi would be frightened out of its wits but the zoo Mm -hmm. has posted uh, on Twitter on behalf of everyone here, please accept our most sincere apology for the stress initiated, affected immediately the Kiwi encounter no longer offered, they're taking steps so um, in the end um, lessons learned, mistakes uh, or that this happened and um, do you accept what they've uh, had to say? Oh, I mean, I listened to the apology from the comms um, person and I, I, I believe he was genuinely um, contrite and, and believed um, what he was saying and he said that they have a lot of lessons to learn from how we look after our Taonga species here and uh, that they need to really improve and up their game and, um, yeah, they're willing to, to learn from us. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, I went to Napier in the 1980s and patted a kiwi in the light, you know. Really? And that was, yeah, there was a zoo there. and you, Well, I, I think it was a zoo and you could go and pat kiwi in the, in the bright lights. And so, you know, that's maybe 40 years ago and we've okay. just a long way in terms of how we look after... Well, um, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you you did exactly the same thing here in Aotearoa um, uh, a few decades ago. Let's go around the panel here and we'll come back to you after, Natalie. Uh, Connie, you start on this. Uh, yeah, well, it sounds like they just misunderstood that the key was a nocturnal bird and that um, it likes the dark when it's awake rather than and being asleep during the day. I mean, it sounds like a teenager, really, doesn't it? So... Um, they just got their wires crossed a bit on it, so I guess it's good that they realise that, and you know they're, they're um, not not carrying on sort of mistreating it in a way. Sue, uh, yeah, well I agree. Um, I mean, obviously it was it was shocking, um, and you know really a zoo is no place for a, a kiwi. But I actually think Marama Davidson she asked a very valid question today. She said. Are we as concerned about how Kiwis are treated here in New Zealand as we are about how Paora was treated in the uh, Miami Zoo? So, you know, I think they have made a heartfelt apology and they've promised to change how they treat uh, this lovely little Kiwi. But I think really we possibly the outrage that we feel for um, Paora, we need to also feel about the decimation of our Kiwi populations here in New Zealand. And that's the issue taking it forward and back here, Natalie, that we can be shocked mm-hmm. by what happened there. Um, but actually, um, there are some real issues here around Kiwi and indeed other endangered species, of which you are um, the, the general manager of a foundation that looks at this issue. Yes, and I think for us, there's major issues with endangered species and how they're treated Overseas, We have absolutely no control of that once they reach another country. And we're at the moment we're looking at the endangered tuna, which um, is the long-finned eel. And that is um, 
classified as endangered, but yet the New Zealand government is allowing commercial export of 137 tonnes of that every year. Um, and we've got iwi on the ground and um, locals who have stopped fishing for that tuna because we've seen such a decrease in the number and the size of these long-fin tuna. Um, we also have live exports of them happening, so we have no control over what happens to um, what happens to them when they get to another country, um, and there's countries which uh, they prefer to have them live so that they're fresher. And the ways that they're killed are actually quite um, destructive and, and quite hurtful when you learn about um, how they, you know, face the end of their life. So, yeah, we've got we've got the tuna, which right. is a major issue, and um, our own fishing methods are killing a lot of endangered species as well. All right, Natalie, thank you very much uh, for being on the program. That's Natalie Jessup, General Manager of the Endangered Species Foundation. A lot of people coming through uh, uh, panel. I don't know whether you want to sort of um, take a shot at this. Whether or not zoos are um, should be around in the 21st century. I know that the details did a very interesting thing on this, and I know, Sue and Connor, that zoos have really extraordinarily upped their game in terms of the way they uh, look after animals. A zoo from the 70s or early 80s, you couldn't recognise it compared to zoos now. What do you reckon, Connor? Yeah, well, the Wellington Zoo's a, a very good zoo. We took our kids there, you know, quite a lot as they're, as they're growing up and then they can see what animals are like and they learn to like them and learn to have a relationship with, with animals, if you like. So they can be useful things, but so long as there is appropriate animal welfare, you know, they seem okay to me. You reckon, Sue? I, th- I agree with Connor that they do teach children about animals and to give them an appreciation of animals. But um, I sort of think they're on their way out. Um, you know, and I agree with you too, Wallace, that they've improved their game a lot. But, they you know, have. We, we now watch, we can watch all this on television and, you know, keeping kiwis in zoos rather than in the wild, you know, for our own entertainment. Um, I I think it's... Um, a thing of the past. Well, interesting. we might return to this, whether or not zoos are a thing of the past uh, later in the week, because the, the, a, a text has just come through that I was thinking about last night when thinking about this topic. In sympathy for the Kiwi in Florida, I especially pity the big cats from other countries in New Zealand zoos. It's completely inappropriate for the, these cats to be in sized cages and climate that is so different from their native habitat. What about that? The panel, RNZ National, Sue Kedgley and Connor English with me today. Well, chat came up in the office. What were you in the school play? A tree? A member of the chorus? I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And when I wait... Well, some great responses in the office. Someone played a tree, as I said. My producer Sam here, he was the only lead amongst us in Guys and Dolls. I was the smoking blue caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland, although I do not know what was in the pipe in this cool production. Uh, And I gave Alice a mushroom, I think. With us is, and a big response to this, with us is Joan in Havelock North. Kia ora, Joan. Kia ora. Who were you? What did you play? I was Bruce in the 
school production of the Pirates of Penzance. Love it. <laughs> Was it a, is it a good memory? Um, sort of. I auditioned just hoping to get into the chorus, but I was the only one that could sing low enough to play the part of Ruth. So I was uh, had my hair sprayed grey, um, my teeth blacked out, <laughs> and was padded with pillows and whatever, which is not very impressive when you're 15. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's a formative time, isn't it? Because you form bonds, which is why we talked about it. You form bonds in a school play, don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, lovely, Joan. Thank you for that uh, wonderful memory. Uh, Joan was Ruth in the Pirates of Penzance. Kathy says, I played Medusa uh, one morning assembly in a skit written by a very talented fellow called Philip. We were in Form 2. Wallace, I was the mad scientist in the Crimson Coconut when I was 10. I was criticised by one of the prefects by not puffing for long enough after rushing through an open window after a chase. Uh, I was a witch Isabel Gordy in Takapuna Grammar in 1948. The play was Colburn Sands, won an award. Um, I was Judas in a mind version of Jesus Christ Superstar and Standard 4 at Holy Cross Convent. It ruined my life. Connor, uh-huh. <laughs> what were you? Well, I peaked in my acting career as a, as a shepherd, actually, with a rolled-up towel on my head um, at primary school. So yes. that was... Yeah, it was uh, sort of beginning and end of my acting career. And you still recall it. What about you, Sue? Well, I, I do remember I was in quite a lot of plays in primary school, but they're a bit vague. The only memory that sta- stands out is being doing the hula hoop. Um, I, I remember that vividly, having to sort of perform this hula hoop in front of uh, the crowds. Uh, another one here. My youngest son came home from school saying he was a pi- he was playing a pirate in the Easter pageant. It turned out, after many questions, he was playing Pontius Pilate. We still laugh about this thirty years later. Uh, it is just gone four thirty. You're on the panel with Sue Kesley and Connor English.